0: Hey there, and welcome back to Take One, the podcast that brings you just one otherworldly page of Talmud a day. The you here in the background is my children watching Hotel Transylvania, which is just about right, because today's stuff is, well, eerie. And when I think about my passion for all things weird, demonic, and otherworldly in the Talmud, this one person who is my teacher and my guide She's a writer, a scholar. Hello, Shira Talushkin.
1: Hello, hello. It's great to be here.
0: It's my pleasure. I want to read to you a paragraph that really kind of shook me. And I quote, all those years during which Adam, the first person, was ostracized for the sin involving the tree of knowledge. He bore spirits demons and female demons as it is stated and adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his image and call his name seth by inference until now the age of 130 he did not bear after his image but rather bore other creatures so adam our first 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 ancestor gave birth to spirits demons and female
1: demons yes so what's important there is what the Kamara is basically picking up on is that when it says that Adam gave birth to Seth, it says... And Seth was born in the image of Adam and his likeness. And that's like an innovative phrase. It's not used with Cain or Abel or anything. So they're trying to figure out, well, if Seth's distinguished as an issue of Adam that was in his likeness, then clearly there's all these other things that were born that were like not in his likeness. And Adam's likeness, of course, is God, right? Selim in the image of God. So there had to be these non-godly beings that Adam gave birth to so that's kind of where they're getting it from a exegesis standpoint
0: now here's one thing that I always found pretty curious I mean People who read the Talmud seriously and then come across mentions of demons and all other kind of fantastic creatures sometimes sort of, you know, take a step back and say, whoa, this feels very, you know, pre-modern and weird. But My question is really why? I mean, we're reading a book about people who lived in a system of faith, uh, who believed in higher powers as we still do believe today. So why wouldn't we also accept that there are uh, or might have been or may still be? these weird, otherworldly, non-human creatures among us?
1: Mm. Yeah, I love that as a question, because it's something I think about all the time, too, that there's people who will read through the Talmud and accept all sorts of propositions or crazy halakhic configurations, and then we all sort of like to skip the demons or or think something else. But I, what I hear you asking, which I guess I've never really thought about, is why it's so difficult for people of faith to accept a kind of robust, diverse, spiritual universe, right? Like if you're on board with God, it seems like not such a crazy leap that there's other, you know, somebody once said this, you can believe in in zero to one gods to not be crazy or something. But like, I mean, I don't know, I think part of it is maybe this sense we have of monotheism being the only sort of true, dignified expression of faith, right? It could be the anti-pagan bent in Judaism has gotten instilled so deeply in us. Um, You see this even in the Talmud, right? You see when Elisha ben Abuyo, when he goes up to heaven and he sees the angel Metatron, who Enoch had transformed into, Sitting, which angels aren't supposed to sit. And he goes, Can there be two powers in heaven? And there's this idea that angels actually are theologically dangerous because they potentially, they kind of chip away at this monotheistic vision of Judaism because there's other things that have power. But I think, honestly, it just goes to the fact that people, I don't know if people's faith in God is as secure as we think. I think in periods of Judaism where, you know, the medieval ages, the pre Enlightenment world, let's say, where faith was just a given. Uh, we see a lot more acceptance and assumptions that angels are there to help you, demons are there to potentially harm you, and that world feels much more fluid. I think I think when we've conceded most of spirituality, but we couldn't quite get around the God question, we might have this figure of God, but our spirituality is so impoverished that we can't really support a more fertile spiritual world.
0: And so give us some kind of guideline. Give us some kind of advice on how we may live in the world today, wrestling with faith in light of this page that we read, in light of the knowledge that the rabbis seriously believed that Adam gave birth to all these non-human creatures, should that change our perception of the world and, and everything in it? Should we today sort of adjust our perspectives uh, as as we go along?
1: I mean, to change the world and everything you know, in it feels like a dramatic proposition on a somewhat slender passage. I would say from the kind of Devar Torah aspect, right, if you were to Ask me to preach on this right now, I sort of love this idea that Adam was capable of both giving birth to the world and of producing this like shadow side of the world, right? The shadow children, of course. I don't know if it's in that passage you just quoted and you didn't finish it or if it's elsewhere. But right, it says, well, how did Adam actually produce these children? Because right at this time he had taken a vow. He and Eve were not going to be together for 130 years. And they basically said it was like nocturnal emissions that like were involuntary and those had become demon children, which it's not mentioned in this passage, but it corresponds perfectly to the other passages in the Talmud that talk about uh, Lilith. Adam's proposed first wife in Genesis Rabbah, who is said to basically steal the semen of men at night and create demon children with it. So I think the underlying assumption you could say in this passage is essentially that Lilith had come back to continue to steal Adam's semen. So there's that like totally mystical read of what's happening here. Well, mystical feels like the wrong word, but there's that supernatural read that basically Lilith's coming back, and you know, and it's because, to be fair to Lilith, God decreed that a hundred of her children had to die every day, which is in the Alphabet of Bensira. So anyway, so she's stealing this, and then you have Rambam, Maimonides, on the other hand, if you want the non-supernatural version, because Leo, you know, when you talk here about the only way to read this is this demon world, you know, Maimonides kind of famously was less interested in the supernatural world. And he and Maura in chapter one, I think section 17, but don't quote me on that, but it's definitely chapter one of Maura because he opens up his Genesis. So Ramba Maimonides looks at this passage and says that basically, it's actually not about the issue that Adam produced, but it's about how he raised those children. And that until Adam had fully repented, until he had fully become like reconciled with God, he was raising children that were human shape, but more akin to animals because he wasn't teaching them to walk in the way of God. And Seth was the we sort of think of like Neanderthals or so Seth was the first child who was raised in the image of God in a moral sense and in an awareness of God sense. So I think there's two ways to read this passage. One is that we sometimes like to think that if we're good people, then everything that flows from our actions will be good, right? If our intentions are good, if we're fundamentally good people, we'll create good things. And if we're bad people, we'll do bad things. But, you know, Adam and the first man, both created the world and he created demons. And if you go by the Rambam explanation, it's that... It was really just within his power how he taught them, right? So every action is just within your power for it to be good or bad. Um, And if you go with the sort of supernatural explanation, it's really about the choices you've made, right? Like who are the people who are stealing your actions? How are your actions going to the universe and being transformed by other people they come up to? So I would say that whether or not you believe in demons, I think this is really a passage about the responsibility we have for the actions we kind of like give birth to in the world and the consequences they have. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's kind of how I read it.
0: That makes perfect sense. And that is precisely the guide that we need for today's stuff. Cher Talushkin, thank you so much for this fascinating analysis.
1: Awesome. All right. Enjoy the rest of Erebin.
0: This has been Take One, a production of Tablet Magazine. If you enjoy this show, please go and rate and review us on iTunes or whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. Each week, we'll be releasing new episodes Monday through Friday, covering the entire weekly portion of Dafyomi. I'm your host, Leah Liebowitz. Our producer is Josh Cross, and our editor is Paul Ruest. For more information, go to tabletmag.com take one or email us at takeone at tabletmag.com. I hope we've made your day a little bit more Talmudic, and we'll see you again soon.